Well, I was reminded uh, this week uh, about a cross-country race that happened in 1993. It was the NCAA Division II Track and Field Championships of 1993. And as they set out on their 6.2-mile run, uh, they were following the, uh, the path that was marked for them by the race officials. The race officials come before them and mark out the path. And so towards the end of the course, one of the runners that was in the middle of the pack uh, realized that something was wrong. Mike Del Cavo of Western State College in Colorado saw that the main pack had missed the turn. And he said, uh, he was quoted as saying, I was waving for them to follow me and yelling, this is the right way, he told the interviewer after the race. And Del Cavo was right. But only four other runners followed him. The rest continued on in the course that they were on that actually ended up being a shortcut that allowed them to run a shorter distance and finish the race sooner. And in a widely criticized decision, the race officials allowed the abbreviated route to stand as the official course. And instead of finishing in the top five, DeCalvo finished 123rd. You see, the truth is, is that the world does not always reward staying on the right track, either literally or figuratively. But as believers in Christ, it is incumbent upon us to do and to be diligent to try to stay on the right track in our faith. The path that we follow is important to God. That's why he has given us his word. Uh, the, the word of God is our guide. How do we know what it means to be saved? Well, it, it's in the word of God. How do we know what it means to be a disciple? Well, we get it from the word of God. How do we know how, how we as believers are to act in our lives and to live that out? It's in the word of God. How do we know what it means to be in church? It's in the Word of God. And so everything that we know and believe about our faith should be backed up by the Word of God. All the doctrines that we hold tightly to need to be backed up in the text within the Word of God. And so this morning as we conclude a decade of ministry, I hadn't even thought about this until just the other day. This is the end of a, of a year, but this is the end of a, of a decade. In just a few days, we're entering into a, an entirely new decade of, of, of life on this world and opportunity to serve God. And as we close out the decade that we are in, we're going to have the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper together as a body of believers and as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to highlight for you a passage of Scripture, a, a, a holy text that gives for us um, a pattern for what we believe as Christians and even as Southern Baptists for the doctrines that we hold and about how and why we take the Lord's Supper. And it's out of 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, we're going to read this entire thing eventually, but we're going to read it in pieces. We're going to start in, in verse 17, 1 Corinthians 
chapter 11, starting in verse 17. We'll read it in pieces. We'll read down to verse 22. We'll read a little more. We'll pick up and read, you know, read another piece of the passage. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. We'll decompress it. Then we'll read some more. So we're going to work our way through 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 17 and reading to verse 32. Let's, let's begin here in verse 17. Now in giving the following instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. In, in part, I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you so that those who, have, who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others. So one person is hungry while the other gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just pray that this morning as we look at your text, Father, as we, as we uh, uh, prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together, to focus on you, to worship you, God, I pray that you would speak to us. Father, enlighten us. Father, move in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage right here, the very first thing that we see first half of this passage that we just read, we see that communion or the Lord's Supper has a plan. God has a specific plan for it. He says, now in giving the following instructions, I do not praise you since you do not come together for the better but for the worse. We understand that God has a specific plan for the Lord's Supper. We believe, as Southern Baptists, that the Lord's Supper, which some call Communion, others may call the Eucharist, is one of the two ordinances of the church. There are two ordinances of the church, which is uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Now, we, we see them as ordinances. Some church traditions consider baptism and communion to be uh, a sacrament, and a sacrament of the church, not an ordinance. You probably hear those words interchangeably among people of faith, but the definitions are different, and we believe different things about them. Uh, typically, the denominations that believe and hold that the communion and the Lord's Supper are sacraments, they typically hold to seven sacraments, which are really considered to be rites, which when given or when participated in, that those things, this is what other churches believe, this is some of the other churches, not Southern Baptists, but some of them believe uh, that when you do those things, that God is transmitting His grace to you. It's almost like that is the cord. So when you take the Lord's Supper, you're kind of plugging up to the source, and God transmits that power of grace into your life. So through that is, is how you are forgiven. And, and the, the churches that that uh, believe in communion as a sacrament typically have uh, seven sacraments uh, uh, that involve uh, baptism, 
confirmation, uh, communion, confession, marriage, uh, the anointing of the sick, and, and another one that they call the holy orders. Now, now if, you, if you have heard those terms, those are probably most associated with our Catholic friends. Uh, the Catholic Church, for example, has declared... Uh, this, I thought this brought great clarity to what they believed as a church, but it said they had uh, declared that the uh, sacraments are necessary for salvation, but not every sacrament is necessary for every individual. But they would hold to a belief system that in order to be saved, you have to participate in one, uh, at least one, of those sacraments, if not all of them, depending on your specific calling of God. So in those traditions where the Lord's Supper is a sacrament, then it is tied to a person's salvation. Now, Southern Baptists, we believe that God's grace is a free gift that's bestowed upon a sinner who repents and comes to God through faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by the works of man, so that no one can boast. That's what we believe as Southern Baptists. We believe that salvation is through Christ alone. And we find that salvation in Christ alone through faith alone. It, it is regardless of denomination. It is regardless of background. It is regardless of, of any good works or lack thereof. You may remember the, the thief that was dying on the cross. There were two thieves. And one of them was ridiculing Jesus and saying, If you are the Son of God, get down off the cross and show us you are the Son of God. There was no, there was no, uh, no acknowledgement of really who Jesus was. He was just taunting Jesus. He was just, uh, he, he was just harassing Jesus. And, and the other one, recognizing who Jesus was, says, Will you remember me in your kingdom and Jesus turns to him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. That the, the thief that was on the cross was there because he had done something bad. He was a thief, probably a murderer. He had committed a great crime. And yet, just by the, the offering of faith, the confession of his sin, his, his, the repentant heart, recognizing who Jesus was, he was able to pass in and go to heaven, not because of his good works, but because of his faith. So, uh, so, so to some, the Lord's Supper is considered a sacrament that is necessary to achieve salvation. Uh, but uh, Southern Baptist churches recognize communion as an ordinance. And I want you to understand uh, the difference. I'll give you a, little, a simple definition for an ordinance. Uh, an ordinance is uh, a symbolic reenactment of the gospel message. And when observed, it presents the gospel. As we take the Lord's Supper or as we go through uh, baptism, we are presenting the gospel message. What is the gospel message? That, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose again in his death on the cross for your sins his his body bruised and his blood shed that that uh, that that was enough to provide atonement for the sins of the world and so so when 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 Paul is is talking here about 
these, uh, about the, the Lord's Supper, he's, he's not real happy with how they're approaching it. Let me say something else about ordinances. Uh, and say, well, how do you define and how do, you, how, how do people um, uh, define and, and identify what an ordinance is? Why, why the Lord's Supper and why baptism? Well, uh, there's three factors that, uh, that theologians have, uh, have used to identify. One of these factors is that they were instituted, instituted by Christ, that Christ is the one that, that, that uh, proclaimed them, did them, instituted them, told us to do them. Number two, uh, they were taught by the apostles, and so they were taught in Scripture. We see in Scripture the apostles teaching them. And then uh, they are practiced by the early church. And when I say the early church, I'm talking about first and second century. I'm talking about the group of believers who were left behind after Jesus ascended onto the mountain. That those, uh, those church leaders and those, the records that we have of those church leaders show without a doubt that these two things were practiced. And so an ordinance, here's, here's what I want you to understand about an ordinance. An ordinance is not required for salvation, but it does reflect it, okay? It's not required for salvation, but it is a reflection of salvation because it is a reflection of something that God has already done. It is a reflection of his sacrifice. And so, so it, it's very important, okay? It's not something that should be taken lightly. God has a plan for it, and and it has a plan. Paul is, is talking to the Corinthians here in this first little passage here in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through like 22, 23 in there. He, he is talking to them. He is not happy with them, okay? He is, he is not happy with them at all. And if you remember, if you read the full counsel of Scripture, we understand that, that all Scripture is God-breathed. We understand that, that not only was Paul writing these words, but it was the Holy Spirit through Paul. And so not only is Paul upset at the Corinthian church for how they were approaching uh, the Lord's Supper, but God was upset as well. And so, uh, so we, we see that the Corinthians, they just didn't take things very seriously. You see, in, in, uh, in the modern church... Uh, the Lord's Supper, typically any church you've been to, uh, if they've done communion or the Lord's Supper, they've done it most of the time in the modern Christian church in an atmosphere of dignity. But, but the Corinthian Christians were not like that. They came from a culture that, uh, that, that was a pagan culture. Okay, They came from a wild uh, culture. The, 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 the people that were saved out of the Corinthian culture grew up and lived in a culture that when they got together for an event, they got together to party, okay? They were, they were riotous and they were wild and they would have, they would have these banquets in, in the Corinthian culture, these banquets that were in honor of a pagan god and they would get drunk and there would be... Um, Physical intimacy and all these things uh, happening through these wild parties, okay? Um, they weren't there to worship. 
uh, the, the Corinthians who, had, who, who, were, who were coming and taking the Lord's Supper together, they, they, they weren't coming to worship, they were coming to party because that's the, the culture they came from. They, they weren't coming to worship, they were coming to socialize. They were not treating it with the dignity and decorum that, that would give honor and glory to God. See, they had a lot of problems at the Corinthian church, and if you study them, you understand um, it was this idea when, when Paul says, you don't, you know, you're not taking the Lord's Supper, you're just getting together and getting drunk. It, that was not at all an uncommon thing in, uh, in their culture. That was something that had bled in to their, their meetings. And, and they were getting together on days that they would be doing the Lord's Supper. And they'd say, well, let's just have a big banquet along with it. And so everybody will come together, we'll have a fellowship meal, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. But that's really not quite what was happening. It was like a, it, it was like a, a potluck with an open bar, uh, you know, and, and uh, they were just, everybody was wild. There was no focus on God. I mean, there was a, there, whenever they got ready, they would, you know, take the Lord's Supper. They weren't doing it together at all. Uh, they were not following any sort of plan. And, and, and we see that they're rebuked because they were not doing it together. That's one of the reasons they were rebuked. Paul, Paul says, I know there's factions among you, and I understand that. Because guess what? There's going to be factions. There's going to be divisions. There's going to be cliques. There's going to be different friend groups. And, and, and you know, some of you are going to get real close, like Sunday school class. This Sunday school class is real close with the people in their Sunday school class. And that Sunday school class is real close with the people in that Sunday school class. Hey, that's understandable, Paul says. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not getting on to you about that. That's, that's reality. But here's my problem, that when you come together for the Lord's Supper, you're not doing it in unity. And so he rebukes them for not doing it in unity. It, it, was, it was a holy ordinance, something to be done in unity, because the Lord's Supper symbolizes that believers of every age and gender and ethnicity and culture are united by a common salvation, by a common faith, and by a common Lord. Remember Ephesians 4 says there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all, we understand the Lord's Supper should be reflective of that. His gospel message is a message that saves us and saves us all. And it unifies us through that common salvation. Look at verse 21 here in Ephesians. I'm not Ephesians, but 1 Corinthians 11. For at the meal, each one of you eats his own supper ahead of others. So one person is hungry while the other gets drunk. Now, now, what happened in those days in, in their community in Corinth, because it was a Roman culture, the cultural thing to do at that time is people would get together and those who were kind of the upper echelon, the upper class people, uh, they would go ahead and, and eat their food first. And of course, they normally had you know more things. And then it kind of went down. So, so the high class uh, you know, got to, got to do their stuff, and then you got down to the common people and then the poor people and all that stuff. And, and, and Paul was rebuking them. He, he was saying, hey, that's not how you're supposed to do things 
in the church. That's a cultural custom. That is not meant to be a, 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 a church doctrine. That is not, not how we, uh, how, what, are we, what we are to be proclaiming in the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is to proclaim unity. Yet, as they were doing it in the Corinthian church in those days, it was really a, an exercise of division. And so as they did the Lord's Supper by that, they were not presenting the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. They were distorting the gospel. They were giving a distorted message. Many of you are familiar with the company Uber. Uber has been considered in the last several years one of the most successful startup uh, uh, companies in the world today. They have an estimated worth of $90 billion dollars. In 2016, um, they had an estimated worth of only about $68 billion. But in 2016, an Uber driver named Nathan was, was, was uh, off to the side of the road uh, attending to some things. As he looked up, he saw a, a car that was driving the wrong way down a one-way street. Now, at the time, Uber was testing some self-driving and self-navigating Ford Fusions. And so cars that could drive themselves, in other words. Now, there was a driver in there in case of an emergency, but the car was to navigate itself. They're trying to develop this technology. And so so this car navigating itself was going the wrong way down a one-way street. Not only that, they were in... Pittsburgh, and, and uh, they were heading through the, uh, the Oakland neighborhood, which is just steps away from the campus uh, of the University of Pittsburgh. And so uh, this, this Uber driver who was pulled over, his name was Nathan, he watched the car turn off of one street onto the other. He took out his phone, and he, he got a brief video of the car. Uh, and, and, and as he took the video, the car was beginning to correct its course because the driver who was in there uh, was able to take over and get the, cor- get the car back on course. And his tag on Facebook about, about it said this. It said, driverless car went down a one way, the wrong way. Driver had to turn the car around. You know, I, I hear people, used to hear people all the time say this, and used to see the bumper stickers that said, Jesus is my co-pilot. Um, Folks, we don't want to be a church, and we don't even want to be people where Jesus is the co-pilot, okay? We want to be a church, and we want to be a people that are guided by the hand of God. We want to be a church. We want to be a people where, where, where Jesus, where God is in complete control, where he's driving the car. We're not even a co-pilot. We're just along for the ride, you know, we're like, like Carrie Underwood says, Jesus, take the wheel. That, those are the kind, that's the kind of people that, that we should strive to be. Not one that tries to co-pilot, but one that lets God drive. The Corinthian church was not doing the Lord's Supper the right way. And they began to be rebuked. They were driving the wrong way down a one-way street. So God corrected them. Because God has a plan. Uh, he has a path for uh, for the Lord's Supper, but also communion has a purpose. Here's a purpose. Look, let's look here, starting verse 23, read to verse 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, God has a purpose. He says, do this in remembrance of me. It says that he took the cup, uh, we took the bread first and he gave thanks. And he said, do in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, do in remembrance of me. God's purpose in the Lord's Supper is to give thanks and to do it in remembrance of Christ. That's why we, when we take the Lord's Supper, we take it in remembrance of Him. Although the, the elements that you will receive uh, later on, are, uh, they're, they're, they're not anything special. They're, they're just common little pieces of unleavened bread that's pre-made and, and some grape juice. And each one of those, they're just common things, but they are symbolic of something that is a big deal. They tell a story of something that is a big deal, something that really happened, something that changes lives, something that changes hearts, something that changes the world. Because God has a plan for communion. He has a purpose for it. Let let me ask you something this morning. Listen, as, as you close out 2019, the question is this, are you following God's plan? And are you serving God's purpose for your life? Are you following God's plan? You you might say, I don't know what God's plan is. Well, friend, are you seeking to understand what God's plan is? Just because you don't know does not mean that you don't search. Okay? Are you searching for God's plan? Are you trying to understand His purpose, not just for your tomorrow, but for your today? Are you serving His purpose? Are you Are you in his plan? You see, here's the thing we have to understand. If we're not serving the purposes of Christ, we're serving the purposes of the enemy. Friend, listen, let me ask you, is God the number one priority in your home? Is he the number one priority in your family, in your marriage, in your relationships? Whether it be with your parents or children or people in your life. Is he the number one priority in your finances? Is he the number one priority in your schedule? Is he the number one priority in your life decisions? Listen, I want to look back at 2019. And I want to look back at 2020 when I get there. And be able to look back and... And, 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 and say and know, hey, you know, my life hasn't been perfect. No, I haven't done everything exactly the right way. And then I, could, I could look back and I can see where God moved and I can see where I missed the boat. But I want to be able to look back and, 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 and be able to say, I am in the plan of God right now. I am serving the purpose of God. Friend, can you say that? Is that your testimony? Because If you're in the plan of God, and if you're serving God's purpose, you have to understand that that's going to involve a proper examination of your heart. Because communion, uh, communion has a plan, 
It has a purpose, but it involves a proper examination of your heart. Look at verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way. He should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. We see that taking the Lord's Supper and living for Christ, both of them require and involve a proper examination. This morning, before we close out this decade of ministry by taking the Lord's Supper, I want to challenge you, challenge myself, that we all would examine our hearts, that we would we'd all just get gut-level honest this morning in our hearts. Where are you in your relationship with the Lord. Where are you in your walk with God? Are you living according to His plan, serving His purposes? And friend, if not, then you probably already know what your New Year's resolutions ought to be. And you need to understand that that resolution, whatever it is, doesn't have to wait for Wednesday, but it needs to start today. Let's pray.